0: Happy Monday kitty cats and uh, before we get into today's interview I gotta let you know about a little thing called the Lions of Liberty Pride. It is our Patreon where our supporters fully fund this program. You can find that over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. We don't just ask you to toss some hard-earned dough our way. We make sure you get tons of value in return. You get early access and live streams to many of my interviews. We have many, many bonus shows such as Conspiracy Corner, The Generic Gamblers, uh, Brian's brand new, spanking new show, Nearly Daily Show. Good morning, bleep, head. Uh, you're going to need to Subscribe to the Patreon to hear what the bleep head is uh, for me, because I'm not going to blast your earbuds with curses, at least not in the very first minute of your Monday morning, just in case the kids are in the car. Uh, but tons and tons of bonus content there. Not only that, all of our patrons get a discount at the Lions of Liberty store, where we have all sorts of merchandise. Our Taxation is Death t-shirt, our Wax On Tax Off t-shirt. We have mugs. We have jackets. We have beanies. We have just about all the Lions of Liberty gear you could ever dream up. Find all of that over at Lions of Liberty store, and don't forget to join the pride and support the greatest liberty variety show on earth over at patreon.com slash Liberty. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tools, but the information to break free from the system.
1: Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds in the liberty movement.
0: We want liberty. We need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be
1: better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty,
0: Mark Clare. All right, kitty cats. With me today is the host of the Radical Podcast. He was also the libertarian candidate for senate in the state of georgia and uh, he is known to many i guess especially those in the republican party as the man who cost the republicans the senate and i'm very pleased to welcome shane hazel shane are you ready to roar
1: <laughs> ready to roar, roar. practice it all week <laughs> what's happening
0: mark i actually feel like you're not kidding i feel like you actually have been practicing all week <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's my my voice is a little hoarse <laughs> Uh, well, Shane, you know, we got, got a lot to talk about, it, especially how you became, uh, I don't know, I, I guess a household name in many ways, just for, for I guess, depending on how you want to spin it, spoiling the election for the Republicans in, in Georgia. We'll get to all that later. But first, I really want to dig in and learn more about the Shane Hazel story, how you actually got here. Uh, pick it up wherever you think is the best starting point. But I, I want to find out really how this how this whole Liberty Ball started rolling for you.
1: Oh, I mean, I, I grew up as a, you know, this kid in suburban America uh, on the on the cusp of kind of rural uh, Georgia out here. And I mean, graduated with a class of like 700 pit people, a minority uh, in that class was about 10 out of the 700 that had, you know, different looking melanation in their skin or different ethnicity. And so I was really one of those kids that was brought up to believe through the indoctrination uh, camps here in Georgia that America was star spangledly awesome. And after uh, 9-11, I was in uh, school for, I guess, college for three years at that point. And I ran off to join the Marine Corps, got into special operations uh, in, in force reconnaissance and did a couple tours. And on my second tour I, it was a very different tour than the initial invasion into Iraq um, it was things like Najaf and Fallujah 2 and tons of direct action uh, and it was just it was one of those things that really opened my eyes to see a lot of the the damage we were doing the pain and suffering we were causing the collateral damage which is you know a, a really shitty word for killing innocent people right and it's just like oh and I, can I cuss on your show? I don't want to. Oh hear yeah, it. cuss so, away. All right. So um, I was, it was probably uh, of December sometime and we had been pulled out of the front in Fallujah and we were back in our tent and I was reading John Taylor Gatto, man. And for those of you guys who don't know, John Taylor Gatto, 30 year history in the New York County or New York school system. Uh, he won teacher of the year, year after year, and he railed against the school system it's amazing um, it's
0: one one of my biggest regrets is that I did not get to interview him before he passed away because he was someone who, whose books I had read uh, for years and he was I was like oh I got to get him on the show sometime and then and then he passed away uh, you know it was actually after oh. I started the podcast so yeah that was a, that was a big regret so never never wait to to reach out <laughs> to someone you want to interview podcasters that's right, that's right there's man. a bigger life lesson there somewhere too you might miss
1: something um mm. yeah man so I'm sitting there and I'm reading this on that bed man and you get to the point where he's explaining the history and how it's not taught to teachers uh, and weapons of mass instruction, the history of the American indoctrination system, as he calls it. And basically what they wanted was multiple people. Carnegie and Ford brought it here. Um, the Thorndike, Dewey, and Van Hoof were some of the, the players in that movement as well. And they were Fabian socialists. and they, what they wanted was people that were smart enough to run the machines, but not smart enough to think for themselves. And when time came, Paid for the ultimate sacrifice and go off and fight state-sponsored you know, wars with state-sponsored interests. And, and man, I, I sat up in my, my bed uh, there in Fallujah, and I was just like, holy shit, they fucking got me. Yeah, like, wow. I had, I mean, it was, I had three more months in Iraq at that point. I was just like, guys. Like you got to read this book, and the guys that I you know gave it to and and shared it with probably had the same awakening. And it is, I mean, it it was one of those things where it made me begin to just say, I got to question everything now. I got to get I got to get smart. I got to you know get rid of all of the nonsense, and I got to be very open to be you know the understanding that everything that I learned from the time that I was five years old up until I joined and went through the Marine Corps and the rest of it was all bullshit. It was all indoctrination and. Uh, you know, along the way, you just find greats like the right, you know, Ron Paul, obviously and uh, his campaigns, and then you start picking up the literature of uh, people like Rothbard and Mises and Hayek, and you know, you kind of go down the Austrian path for a while, and it's just. I it, there's just so much I, you know, in, in the interim, I kind of became a constitutional expert with my autism. Um, then I became an anti-federalist expert with my autism. <laughs> I was like, man, those those fucking anti-federalists were, you know, they were spot on. They were prophets in terms of, you know, the constitution was a coup and it was to centralize power for the aristocratic combination. And I was like, Psh. Golly, man, these guys were we were deprived of all these people. And so um, I got really pissed and started running for office in 2017 against a really shitty Republican down here and cost him his next election. And then, uh, you know, I was talked to by uh, Michael Heiss and Ryan Graham down here in Georgia. Hey, you know, you're a libertarian. I, I hate to inform you. And I was thinking, like, I'm running, you know, psyops and, in, 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 uh, you know, asymmetrical warfare inside the Republican party i'm gonna take this bastard down i was so wrong dude i was <laughs> that's so wrong that's a machine it just needs to die um and so that's just kind of how you know i got involved and started you know just trying to kick the guys in the nuts that were going up to dc and you know making sure that the murder cult was gangfully employed against peaceful people
0: all right well there's a couple things i want to pick at there one is how you mentioned you had this sort of revelation reading uh, john taylor Gatto's book while you were were you in fallujah you said at the time
1: yeah, I was at the Mech, which was the base uh, outside of the city for uh, it was probably about five miles away from the downtown center.
0: And you still had three months left when you when you ha- kind of had this revelation, realized, you know, your whole life has been you literally being trained to become a cog in the system. And you really became just that a, a soldier, like literally what the system was designed to create. And so what was it like spending those last three months still on duty? I mean, thankfully, it was only three months. I guess it could have been could have happened to it. Well, I don't know, maybe happening earlier would have been a blessing and a curse at the same time but what was it like for you to sort of be be burdened with this knowledge this revelation but still there doing whatever you're ordered to do i guess
1: yeah, I mean, so for for you guys that don't understand direct action like, you know, you're you're going in and you are the the point of, you know, the the, the 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 kinetic force that goes into buildings, houses, whatever situation they want you to go in, whether it's hostage rescue, whether you're collecting evidence, whether you're going after, you know, bomb makers, whether you're going after uh people like um Mukta al Otter and and his lieutenants and Najaf, like I was the point man. And so I was the first guy into whatever building we were going into for our platoon. And I'll tell you, you know, as a young man, I mean, I was old for that time. I was about 24. Um, but it was, you know, it, it, at first it was like, okay, you know, this is what we were trained for. Let's go do this. You know, if I die, you know, tell my mom and dad, I died a good death. Right. And after that, Oh man, I'm going to be the first guy in, and I'm going to die for a, a lie. Basically, I mean to. to I mean that's the thing is we were still operational after we left Fallujah. Uh, we did a lot of you know post post work up in Fallujah. You know, kind of rounding some guys up. Went back down, um, and did some things for the the first election in iraq but i'll tell you every time i went into a door trying to you know round up a, quote unquote a baddie, uh man i was i was disheartened you know it was it was a different thing it was i was very very worried that you know i was gonna die for some you know international banking cabal and corporate military industrial complex and like i couldn't write home and tell my mom and dad that that would have broke their damn heart at the time so yeah it's uh it definitely you know that that was a long three months and we really didn't know even when we were going home at that point because we were kind of we were on a marine expeditionary unit which is about a six month uh deployment which you usually just stay on ship and make port calls in peacetime right and we got dropped off in kuwait and they we never saw those guys again for about a year so like we wow. yeah it was it was a long uh never ending and we never knew when it was going to end basically they came down about a week or two before and said you guys are going home pack your stuff and you're not on operational anymore and i'll tell you big relief
0: and were you done with your military service at that time or just with that particular uh so what do you call what it? what happens it yeah but yeah so it's a yeah
1: a tour uh That's what deployment. I was looking for, tour yeah yeah you, you get um you get through a deployment and basically what happens is you go back you have a short break tour makes it sound so
0: fun you know <laughs> hey we're just on a tour you know? <laughs> right yeah. seeing the sights him- and sounds
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's rancid, uh, you know, the, all the, the, the language that uses a lie. I tell people all the time, don't use their damn language, right? Like you're going over to murder people. And so, um, yeah, I, I had just a little bit left on my contract uh, until November, and um, you know, at that time, you can't get put back into another platoon. You don't go back into a workup cycle. You basically become, um, you know, the 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 old man at the company that goes back and tells people about TTPs, basically tactics uh, and procedures and things like that, that you learned that are an adaption. Because you're like, when you go through training, a lot of times you're always training for the last battles. Now, you know, special operations, isn't that bad. I should say, you know, past wars like Vietnam, like a lot of the stuff they train you to do was stuff that they learned from Vietnam, you know, or desert storm, um, back in the day, but you know, I didn't have enough time. So it was basically go back, uh, teach other kids, not how not to die. Ah, uh, spread as much knowledge in the most professional way as you can. Uh, start handing out books. Start doing psyops. You know, in the in the local CP and in the barracks. Uh, you know, for the older guys that are almost thinking about getting out. And so that's kind of how I spent you know my last few months. And I had a bunch of leave built up at the end. So about midsummer, I kind of just checked out and was like, I'm going to go and see the sights of America.
0: That's the second time that you've used the word psyop in reference to like your, your liberty infiltration of something or other, which is a term I like. I might have to start using that one myself.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's, it's part of my craft, man. They, they, they taught it to me. I'm going to use it, <laughs> it. I mean, there's a lot of hell going through that kind of training, man. So if you, if you can find a way to use it, that benefits, you know, the Liberty crowd, it's just like, why not? Let's do this kind of stuff. A lot of these guys have, no
0: they created problem. a monster, I, I guess, in a, in a sense
1: with you, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and That's the thing is I'm a clown, man. I don't want to do this shit. I just, I am just tired of it. I'm just, I mean, I'm just that guy that got fed up and was like, no, oh, fuck it. I'll go out and run for office or I'll start a podcast. I'll do everything I can in my waking hours to to you know fuel the
0: message of liberty. And so I guess here I am. All right, kiddies. I gotta take a quick break to let you know about a couple other fellas who are out there fueling the message of Liberty, and they are doing it not one, not two, not three like the Lions of Liberty here. They do it five freaking days a week. That is, of course, my friends Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty, and these guys have a really interesting background. They've both worked in the music industry as well as the healthcare industry, and they bring some really unique perspectives to discussing the ideas of Liberty. They are really on top of current events, uh, always filtering everything through those ideas of Liberty, and they have some really fun segments, including the dumb bleep of the. A week guys you do not want to miss good morning liberty five freaking days a week you got to get your daily dose of the gml boys find them on your favorite podcatcher and of course you can check out their amazing url bernie lies.com do not miss. Good morning, Liberty friends. Back to the show. What was it that that made you take that leap? Because a lot of people, you know, they might be like you have some kind of revelation, uh, realize there, you know, everything they've been told is a lie, uh, start to see the world a lot differently. But that a lot of those people might just kind of stay where they are. Maybe they're doing things differently in their own life, they're not necessarily vocal about it. What made you go from uh, just having this revelation to actually, you know, coming back and becoming and so, so active between you know, doing the podcast, running for. Office, um, what what was it that drove you specifically? Like, was there something in your life that made you say, "Like, I can't just sit here with this knowledge, sit here believing this, and keeping it to myself"?
1: It's it's probably a mixture of being dumb as hell and being indoctrinated.
0: <laughs> <It helps. laughs> Yeah, being indoctrinated. We're is stupid it, enough to waste our time doing this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah I mean,
1: I, Irish heritage, you know, we're stubborn as shit on top of everything else. So, I mean, really, you combine all these things. And I guess that's just the product that you get when, uh, you know, w- when I show up on, on the scene somewhere is like, hey, here's a guy that doesn't understand quit, who doesn't know when to quit or have the good sense to quit. He's been indoctrinated to think that, you know, he needs to go out and run off and save the day and be a hero and all this other bullshit from his indoctrination uh, growing up. And at the same time, it's just like, I don't know, man. Like I, I really buy into the idea of the consistent principle of liberty, man. And it's you know, it's it's once you see what you know, what I've seen, is you got a responsibility to go out there and and educate and fight like hell in the most peaceful way possible, if that's a thing. And you know, I, I think you know, just you know, having an amazing wife and, a, and a, an awesome family that understands and has kind of come on this journey with me. I mean, that's a big piece. You know, it's a, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people uh, underestimate in terms of getting into a public life where you're going to be criticized, where you're going to be absolutely beat up for anything and everything you can do, and even by people in the Liberty movement. So... Especially by, you might, you might even say... <laughs>
0: Yeah, especially when you get involved in the po- politics side of us. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I get my occasional you know hate, hate, and such uh, as a podcaster, but I, I feel like the people that get very, very involved with the Libertarian Party, there's uh, just an, an extra layer of of craziness that comes to it.
1: Yeah, I mean you're seeing it now. I mean we've got, you know, woke libertarianism meeting the Mises caucus, you know, it's it's a mess right now internally, but the the good thing is, you know, you don't see this outwardly in a lot of other parties minus the the, the Ron Paul incident, right? So it was it it's we fight, man, and we we have, you know, discussions and, and we we try to, you know, make it better and you know, I think there's a lot that's done in very good faith and I think there's some that's just young uh you know, people that have this wokeism about them. I think, in I, I am very sure that there are some, you know, what I'll call chaos agents within our movement on purpose. And so, you know, they are going to look sweet and young, whether they're male or female, and all that other kind of stuff that are, you know putting in a wedge and just kind of going out there and shit posting. So it's, I, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. And it's, uh, it's one that I kind of didn't bargain for because when I first came in, man, it was like, Oh yeah, we actually like you, man. The Republicans weren't like that. Like they were like, yeah, who's this fucking guy, right? Like who's this guy who's coming in here to try to take over and, and get rid of one of the guys who's holding a seat of power. We don't do that here. Like, Go screw yourself. We don't care what you've done in your past. And I was like, but it's it's, it's a really, I mean, I love it here. And uh, it's uh, the, the people for the most part are just overwhelming and, and amazing people.
0: Got to kind of go a little deep conspiracy here on this idea of uh, chaos agents in the Libertarian Party <laughs> or the Libertarian movement. I mean, do you think that they're like, to what level of depth do you think there is actually a concerted effort to derail or, you know, throw into disarray, uh, whether it's the liberty movement overall or the Libertarian Party? Because sometimes I think that, too, because I'll see certain people. I'll be like, this can't be a real person. <laughs> like, like, how is that? How could this be a real person? And then the other part of me is like, mm, are they really going to waste their time in the Libertarian Party? <laughs> like, yeah. so, so I don't know. But I mean, I, do, do you really believe like there's literally like CIA or what have you paid agents that are actively involved in creating you know more discord and that sort of thing
1: Absolutely um and in and- when when I got to work with ODA, which is the, uh, for a better word, USAC, uh United States Army Special Operations, Green Beret type uh, A-teams, right, is, is what a lot of people would understand. These guys uh, are indigenous uh, type of guys that go in and do force multiplication. Um, they work very hand-in-hand with CIA uh, human type assets and things things like that. And so when you see this up close and personal and you understand what the MO is, you can kind of just go, that guy, that guy, that guy. Girl, that guy. Um, it's tricky for those guys in this space, though. And I'll tell you, it's because we don't have the money right? Like we are We we poke, you know what I'm saying? Like libertarians in terms of political parties are poor as shit. So what they, what they don't have on their side is the ability to come in here and throw tons of money at the situation because they stick out like a sore thumb. And they, you know, we really just sit there and go for sure asset, that guy, he's, he's a government asset for sure, but you can see it in their techniques, right? It's like, you know, in liberty, we we always proclaim, "Hey, man! As long as you're not hurting people, not taking their stuff, and good ideas don't require force, and you agree to the non-aggression principle, why the hell do you care about the other the, the, the way people liberty right as a verb? Mm-hmm. If they're bringing people in in a niche, let them bring them in. Just because you don't agree with the method or the messaging is one of those things that I you know I can see a mile away. That's not liberty. That's that's the the foundational principle. Hey." Those guys have the right of association. Are they working towards something that is a bigger goal? And do they have a niche that they're talking to? Great. Do I understand that they're going to turn some people off in your camp? Fine. Those people need to pay attention to what you guys are doing. We'll pay attention to what we're doing over here. And I think that's probably, you know, one of the biggest things between, you know, the, the Mises Caucus right now, as I know, we've got some bomb throws and then, hey, you know, we might have some you know provocateurs mixed in there as well. The
0: answer is. not I mean, if they're in the larger organization, then they would be in the, the smaller organization trying to, you know. Take over or what have you uh, of the, of that of that organization, and especially you know one that's it's picking up
1: popularity and, and gaining a lot of traction too, right? Where you, where you see a fight happening, that's where those guys are just they're they're trained to be magnets towards those situations, and they'll find whatever type of crevice they can and they lean on it. They just pour into it. They grab the, whoever they can, and they push and they push and they push. And they're like, man, I I see it plain as day. A lot of times, and you know, some people are just useful idiots too, right? Like there are some guys that go, "Hey, man, that guy over there," and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to go over there and start shitposting, or I'm going to start, you know, doing whatever I can to derail what this person's doing and what their objectives are." And I think, for the most part, you know, a lot of the, the, you know, especially the big people in the the Mises Caucus. I, I don't think those people are assets at all. I think they've been doing this way too long. Um, and the CIA is a little more reactive than uh, to to be, you know, that far ahead of the game.
0: What about honeypots? We got any honeypots in the libertarian movement?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, they don't send those. I, I, they, they don't. They save those for, for bigger stuff, I guess. Huh? Yeah, no, those guys
1: <laughs> can't win wasting them
0: I- On the libertarian party. Come on.
1: Oh, no, no, those guys control, you know, no money whatsoever. Um, and, you know, <laughs> no liberty, one's going to believe it liberty. if the smoking hot
0: chick shows up <laughs> and starts talking <laughs> about liberty. That's right. Oh, and, and by the way, if you guys
1: can, uh, and, and I mean this, if you guys can recruit females to this movement, man, I'm telling you right now, that is one of the biggest things you can do as a movement to start growing your movement. I mean, it's just, it's just biology. It's human nature.
0: Exactly. Yeah, just, now
1: I wish we had some honey pots, man. Um, I think we're gonna get a, I, I think we're gonna get a lot more. I don't think we're gonna be on par with Democrats and Republicans, but you know, I think we're gonna have a lot more of that flowing into places like Georgia, uh, and possibly even places like New Jersey, uh, Kentucky, and places like that where people are making pretty good strides within the Liberty movement. Uh, and, that it's going to be a very interesting cycle in 2022 for sure
0: i guess that's that will be a good indicator if you're doing something right is when the honeypot starts showing up you're like all right there she is okay we're making headway <laughs> right here that's right, Shane. I think you might be one of the most qualified people to wait. Obviously, I know where you're going to come down on this debate. Uh, but there's been a big, uh, a lot of discussion lately in the broader libertarian movement of of where the best way is to kind of to focus this energy, specifically the energy of of the Ron Paul movement. Um, I I'm, we recently had a couple of debates here with, with Dave Smith and Eric Brakey, uh specifically discussing uh, awesome either. Debates. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan. It's it, I, I've described them as just like amazing boxing matches where you you think the person winning is whoever is in control at that moment so whoever's talking that's I'm like oh yeah Eric's definitely winning this then Dave's nope no Dave's winning it because I mean I, I think they're just they both know they're they're both have amazing points and they're both I think they're both right in a lot of what they say I don't think either one is making points that are necessarily incorrect I think they're, these are both yeah. these are both potential methods one could use but you have actually used you've actually you know attempted both of these paths you actually ran and tried to use your your PSYOP magic in the Republican party and, uh, quickly gave up on that. So maybe you can start there talking a little bit more about your own personal experience, trying to, uh, do your own little infiltration of the Republican party. What was it like trying to run against, uh, was he, or like, it was an incumbent Republican or just, uh, someone, you know, in power in the party.
1: Yeah. and, and, And I'm happy to tell that, uh, that quick tidbit, uh, I will first say, um, I I, I want, I want to ignore your question completely.
0: please, please do. (laughs) No, it's my questions are just me killing time to get the guests to talk more. So, (laughs) you know, take it wherever you want. (laughs) You know how this works. Yeah. There's a, there's a battle
1: in between what's the right way to message. And my answer is yes what can you do if you're if you're the point man if you're a talker if you are a person fighting for liberty then go do what you think you can do for liberty don't sit around don't wait this is an entrepreneur type game and i think that's why liberty fails in america so much is because of the indoctrination from you know 5 to 18 and then onward from there right i think if you see a path and you see a way to fight or change the game or sway or pick people off go go fucking do it like i'm all for you i don't care if it's if you see it at the republican side you see it in the libertarian side if you see it at the democratic side fine if you see it at the dog catcher level or you see it at the state or the national level good go do it that's those are the that's the message we have to start sharing. And I know everybody's got their thing, but th- th- to sit there and shit on, you know people who are putting in the hours and the work and the passion away from their family, you know, not as a main source of income, like just go, you know, be behind them. like good, man, I don't agree with your shit, but by all means. Now, in terms of you know, my story with the Republican party, I think the Republican party's Absolutely unsalvageable from the inside, right? So, you know, I came up in, like I said, my own area. I ran for house in the area where, you know, I played football and went to school and won a state championship and then ran off and joined the Marine Corps and got into special operations and, you know, had awards for valor, which are, you know, state corporate murder bullshit Trinkets, right?
0: Because all things like sound like uh qualities Republicans should love, though, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hate taxes. I I can't, you know, taxation is theft. You, you, all the things that the Republicans say they're into, great. So I found Rob Woodall, my rep, and I looked up, you know, what is his constitutional metric? As a constitutional expert, per Article 6, Section Three, he should have been voting in line with his oath for office. And that means, you know, Article 6, Section Two, that anything that's not pursuant to the constitution itself, it's notwithstanding. So when legislation would come by or continuing resolutions would come by or the Patriot Act or the uh, NDAA or things like that, or gun control, and he was super soft and he had like a 50%, you know, constitutional voting record doing his job per his oath, 50% of the time I was like, cool, I'm in, I'm, I'm going to kick this guy in the nuts and man, I'm going to change the world. And then I met the, the GOP machine. So the GOP machine in Georgia, especially the the metro area in the northeast side, is very, very controlled. I mean, down to your district and um, county parties. And they will not allow that man who's in that power seat to be judged by an outsider. They are not going to let you primary them in a fair way. And so we had debates moved. We had debates canceled. We had... Uh, absolutely you know just people lying through their teeth at those levels where it was the uh, the district chair and the county chairs all colluding together to say this guy yeah he's he's got a pretty good message but are we going to give up that power in a year where the Georgia seventh district is you know at risk from a Democrat and you're sitting there going this is the year you do it. This is the year you send your fighter in to go in there and make a clear delineation instead of this policy wonk who could say a billion things without saying a damn thing. And so, man, I'll tell you, it was just it was just cutthroat, backstabbing, lying, manipulation, um, bought and paid for good old boy network. And for me, it didn't work. That doesn't mean that you can't go into your local GOP and take it over. It doesn't mean that you can't go into your local district and take it over. It doesn't mean any of those kinds of things i will tell you that it's a popularity contest in those circles it is gross it's kind of like middle school and high school and you know people you know people have people are stupid i'm gonna say it like the average republican are stupid as hell they don't have any indication they have done no research they think the guy's cool he's won a popularity contest he speaks a good game but they really don't know what he's doing up there and so you know for example, like when they pass a continuing resolution on abortion, Republicans are supposed to be totally against abortion. Every time a continuing resolution comes around, five hundred and fifty fucking million dollars goes to Planned Parenthood, and he authorizes it. And you're sitting there going, "You love the troops? What's the mission, Rob?" God, crickets. As a guy who's been there and done that, I'm like, you're sending guys off to die in for the murder cabal. And you have no idea what the end state is, what, what the mission is, what's mission complete. We're just going to have this open-ended kind of thing. And so I saw it like that and I was like, right, I'm done. I'm out. I will never waste my time with these guys ever again. They're unprincipled. They and Not only unprincipled, they are some of the worst human beings alive.
0: Do you think they r- spotted you from the beginning as like, oh, this is a guy that actually believes what he's saying we gotta we gotta we gotta block this guy out this isn't gonna work for us
1: i i think that was probably uh, a lot of the takes out there it was it was uh i think people were scared i think you know when you come in dropping bombs and telling them how fucked up they are like yeah <laughs> sometimes that doesn't work and and, and and to be fair i needed to work on my approach a little bit right like i needed to be a lot less serious. I I have a lot more fun with it now. And I mean, to be able to smile and kind of point out the, the ridiculousness of what this murder cabal is, it's just like, guys, you can see it. It's, it's all, I mean, it's, it's dark comedy and Marines are really, really good at dark comedy, right? Like you can just sit there and point out all the, Bullshit fallacies and smile about it and make jokes. I mean, a lot of people aren't going to get it, but at the same time, you know, it, it does have its certain niches. And, you know, one of those niches happens to be anti war vets, which I think are very powerful people in one of the main tenets of what we're trying to do in terms of the Libertarian Party.
0: How do Republicans respond to your use of the term murder cabal? Oh, they're like, what?
1: What? You got it. I mean, that's the thing is. When I say their their language is a lie, I mean it is. Uh, and and try to you know to to talk about things like the compulsory government indoctrination camps we, we send kids to to the, the murder cabal, which is you know what they call back in the anti federalist aristocratic combination. These guys are a bunch of damn very very rich people who are elites who are gatekeepers who use a system designed for them to keep other people in their place and then to go and make fortunes off of whatever their industry is and so when when you can explain it in that way um i think it does at least jar them a little bit there are people who you want to know more you know and those are the people that you peel off and there are people that obviously are just like you know you're you're an idiot maga maga MAGA. you just trust the plan and you know it's 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 really you know those are the people you leave you save who you can save and you leave those that you don't have to and and don't waste your time.
0: It's the way I look at a lot of like bomb throwing uh, arguments we might get into on Facebook. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, like you're not necessarily going to be changing. And this isn't stuff I really do anymore. But back in my day, back in my I'm posting like 20 Ron Paul videos a day day. Uh, I was constantly in in arguments on Facebook about everything. And but I, like in many ways, it is a waste of time. Perhaps, but usually, like the person you're arguing with is not who you're even trying to win over. It's really the silent people that are might be watching because there are always people that aren't commenting that are just viewing. Actually, I'd say most people are just like passive viewers a lot of these conversations because they're just they see some kind of dialogue pop up, pop up. They might be interested in wh- what's being talked about and they see some phrase like murder cabal and they're like, What the hell, murder cabal? But you know, somebody in there is going to be the one that actually goes, Well, Maybe that is kind of what it is, and it's going to lead them down that rabbit hole. So, I mean, I always look at that stuff as, yeah, I might – I'm not trying to even win the argument at all on on social media. That's absurd, but you might interest someone. You might pique someone's interest just by something you say, and, and that's really the whole reason to be out there doing this stuff. No matter whether it's on a podcast, whether it's running in as a Republican or a libertarian, whatever we're doing, um, people might – to take their own metrics and say what you did was a failure, what you did didn't work, blah, blah, blah. But there's always people out there listening. There's always people out there. I mean, I've had this happen to me over the years, people that I didn't even know, like even cared or knew that I had a podcast that would reach out and say, Hey, by the way, I really like what you're doing. I really appreciate a lot of the things you're posting and talking about. And then you say, okay, well, that's why I do this. It's not for the people that are arguing with
1: me. Yeah, no. And, and I tell people that all the time, man, it, it, it may not be the person you're actually talking to. It was probably going to be the people in the periphery. And I, I, you know, one of the messages that I spread, you know, when people ask me about effective messaging is ex- exactly that. I know I am vulgar and I know I cuss and it turns a lot of people off and that's, that's okay. The, the, the what you're trying to do as libertarians and what we are terrible at, because we're super fucking smart, right? Like a little too smart Aha, uh-huh. and maybe a little too <laughs> autistic. And I, I have the same problem sometimes and I've tried to, you know, take my pills or whatever. Um, it's. It's we know what you guys have read is actual truth. We know it is consistent in principle and you can apply it across the board. We know you guys know Austrian economics. We know you understand the nap. We 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 have superiority in terms of thought. The problem is, is when you remove the humanity from your messaging, what you get is a very stale, very robotic, very cold type of message that most people can't digest because they haven't they haven't put in the work. They haven't put in the time. And on top of it, what they have to do is admit that they were duped. That is one thing that most people in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party will never admit because of pride, right? And so when we When we are messaging to people, leading with humanity, telling stories about how you fucked up in life and how you did some terrible shit overseas and like how you were absolutely duped over and over and over again by the system, by the murder cabal that's designed to do exactly that, say, it gives them an out. It gives them that moment to go, hey, man, if he messed up and if he's gone this route, And he's a human and he's let down his defenses to see, tell me that he's messed up in the past, that he is not a perfect person. And he's not claiming that his ideas are going to lead to a utopia and they're perfect. It's like lead with your humanity, bleed into people, give them the smart stuff as you're going. Amen. If if you're actually really interested in this, maybe go read this book. Maybe I'll send you a link. What's your number, right? Like it's just, there's gotta be a, a much more human element to, to the libertarian party
0: yeah we we can't lead with go read human action get back to me (laughs) get back to me in three years when you're done um yeah. you know, that or, or oh no, that, that's too much for you. I'm sorry. Here's Man Economy and State. It's a different a different thousand thousand page version of the same thing. Um, like you might get someone to eventually want to read that work, but you're not gonna convince them by throwing this book at them or throwing any book at them because ultimately people are moved, like you said, by stories. They're moved by real stories. This is the, the story of civilization. I mean, civilizations have risen and fallen based on stories, so that really is, and that is has been, I think, the biggest fan in many ways of the libertarian movement. We're focused on the charts and the, the graphs and the, the the NAP, even like things that just go over people's head. Uh, that's yeah. all important stuff. It's all the basis of what we're talking about. It's all the stuff that we've come to understand, but it's probably not even what got us interested in it, like, at all. I mean, uh, for me, I mean, uh, it was really just Ron Paul himself, uh, his own inspiration, his own story, and his own actual bravery that I watched on television as, as, he's, as he was mocked, as he was scolded by... Uh, you know, by these other Republicans uh, in their fancy, nice-fitting suits while his is, like, falling off. I mean, he just comes across as a real person, because he was. And that bravery, being able to stand up there and say these bold things that you just – especially back then, uh, back in 2008. I mean, you didn't, like, blowback? What are you talking about? Like, legalizing drugs? No, we don't talk – what you- He said that, and I was like, oh, my God, who is like, this oh, little guy? Yeah, we do, we, who, who is this squirky little guy? Uh, but, I mean, th- that's the kind of stuff that moves people. And 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 Ron Paul, I, he might have mentioned. I don't think he ever mentioned like Mises or Hayek in a in a debate snippet. He would in interviews. He'd say like, "Oh, you should go read this stuff." But you're not going to put that stuff into your into your initial sales pitch, into your lead magnet. You have to capture people's hearts and minds in some way, and then. When they want to, then you can hand them, and when they ask you, hey, where, where can I learn more about this, then you can hand them, maybe don't start with human action, but, you know, then you can start handing them, going into your library and telling them what to read and, and letting them take themselves down this journey, but trying to force the journey down down someone's throat, it never works. No,
1: no, ab- absolutely. There's got, there's got to be the human element and the human connection first, and, you know, it's shorter the shorter the better in terms of capturing attention. If there's literature involved, um, the the six lessons that I mentioned by John Taylor Gatto—it's about a page, and it is mind blowing for somebody who may be in the education field or related to somebody who's in the education field. If you can leave like little, you know, things like that, you know, maybe put something on there, like, man, teachers, you got to read this, and then slip it into maybe the teachers' lounge or on the property. And it's, it's it's a lot of what we do in terms of like dropping pamphlets in the in the military, right? Like. Like, these are psyops. This is part of the process. It's like, hey, you got to start introducing things that are easy to digest, that are going to smack people in the face. Maybe even, you know, turn on a light, and then obviously. That that opens that rabbit hole. So yeah, it, it's been. I mean, to to see a, a little guy, right? What a great inspiration. I mean, he, the guy knows more about economics than most economists do. He is a you know a, a you know a, a women's doctor on on top of it, and he is he's older, he's more frail looking, and he stood there like a piece of iron and didn't waver in the face of some of the most you know I guess. Potentially powerful and people who had the spotlight and the propagandists in their pockets. And man, it, it was an awesome sight to see. Pretty, pretty awesome in terms of, you know being an inspiration.
0: Yeah, that, that's what inspired me as well, because I was actually already a libertarian, like long before that presidential run, uh, actually through through Ron Paul's writing as well. But it, I it wasn't something I talked about like at all. It was just like my personal weird hobby. Like I read these books about libertarian theory and thought it was cool. It was never something I discussed with really anybody at all. And when I saw him up there taking this flack, uh, taking all this heat and never wavering, never wavering at all. In fact, he'd be at like when Rudy Giuliani asked him to apologize for that, for, you know, even the idea that perhaps, perhaps bombing people and dropping bombs on their houses might anger them enough to, to retaliate in some way, uh, he stood his ground, doubled down, and that that's what told me, like, okay, if this guy can stand up here on this stage with these bright lights uh, pounding down on him as everyone just chastises him and he can double down on what he's saying and stand f- tall... I can maybe start talking about politics with my friends. I mean, that's just where it started for me. Years later, those conversations turned into podcasts. But, but that was really the impetus of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and that's uh, that's kind of you know one of the, the the jumping off point for me to do a lot more study into what he had been recommending. Uh, and, and you know, obviously, the, the the amount of study that he was passing on, even at that time, was you know you know, more than I've digested at this point.
0: Speaking of digesting things, how do you like these transitions, guys? Uh, Is it a bit of a stretch? It might be. But one thing I love to digest is coffee. And coffee is excellent, especially when you have fine premium coffee from our good friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. As you guys know, I've been mentioning them uh, for a long time here, and that's because they have been supporters of ours for a long time. They are patrons of the show, they are sponsors of the show, um, and they also happen to make or they don't make it. I'm not going to, I don't want to lie to you. They don't make it, but they do acquire it. Uh, fine premium Italian co- coffees affordably delivered to your house in these neat little tins. If that all wasn't enough, you get a discount for being a listener of Lions and Liberty. All you got to do is use discount code Lions at checkout and you will get 10% off your order. These are great, great entrepreneurs to support. They even help other people, other entrepreneurs start their own coffee businesses, acquiring equipment, uh, financing, that sort of thing. So be sure to check out my boys at Lorenzotti Italy. Don't forget to use discount code LIONS at checkout for 10% off your order. All right, Shane, I want to dig into uh, the thing that you have become most, I don't know, infamous? Is infamous the term, maybe? Uh, As of late, in these last couple of months, uh, you were the... I guess, third party candidate, as they refer to uh, the Libertarian Party as. Um, You were another candidate, let's put it that way, in a a race in the runoff race or not not in the runoff race, but the race that became a runoff, uh, I believe, uh, in Georgia. So tell us a little bit about that. Did you ever I mean, you couldn't have ever known, but I mean, did you have any inkling that, A, this race would be so close and that your percentage would, you know, could actually be seen as like the actual deciding factor? and that that it would actually be like that literally the, the last thing that that changed the course of the entire uh, you know makeup of the Senate. Yeah. And so it's,
1: it's one of those things where we had a jungle primary going on at the same time in the state of Georgia. And obviously, you don't have senators elected in the same year. So there was going to be at least one runoff in the state of Georgia in a very, very contentious election cycle with Trump and, and whoever the Democratic nominee was going to be at the time. So I said, you know, uh, with Ryan Graham and in in the libertarian party as like, listen, you know, I'm not, I didn't nominate myself. I didn't, I didn't necessarily even want to run. Um, I got nominated and survived the, uh, the elimination process and, uh, and all that fun stuff, which is gut wrenching, uh, especially when you're in a room with, you know, that many just amazing smart people. But yeah, I, I knew as soon as, uh, it was, you know, a done deal, uh, this is going to be one of those races that could determine some very, very, you know, the, the power shift in America. And, um, I, you know, about, I don't know what, a month later, we got locked down here in Georgia. And so the only way that I could communicate with people was through my podcast for the most part. Um, and I wanted to set up, I wanted to be something different in terms of quote unquote a politician, right? It is like I didn't take um, a bunch of money. Uh, as soon as we started uh, the, the lockdown, I told everybody stop donating to my campaign. Go out there, help your neighbors and help your small businesses. I didn't spend a dime on the campaign. Um, that people donated, you know, a little bit of money, obviously on podcasting and things like that. Um, and it was it, it was a different feel right from the beginning. Um, we were blacked out of polls. Um, we were not included in media. Uh, we had to battle to even get like a a blue check mark as a you know, a a senatorial candidate for a major, you know, party. And so it was it was basically just you know, go out and speak truth, man. Go out and expose who each of these guys are for you know who they are. John Ossoff was, you know, loved and adored when he ran for the uh the seat in the Georgia Sixth District, which was, was a really expensive house race. Uh he lost that. And then I knew when he got into this race, I was like, Man, that guy's gonna have a ton of money. There's no way I can keep up with that. There's no way I can keep up with David Perdue, who is another. That guy was a 20% constitutional voter. Like, listen, I think the Constitution was a coup, uh, but still to this day, like, that's what. You know, quote unquote, the right measures their people against, and to expose that guy's record, um, it was super, you know, super easy for me to do. I got to have uh, one debate with him and just trounce both of them. You had, you know, the Democratic candidate saying, "Well, Shane's right about you know David Perdue on this," and then you had David Perdue saying, "Well, Shane's right about you know John Nossoff on this." And what do they all do? They go and vote. You know, there are two million votes for the you know the, the duopoly. So I I knew it was going to be those that that bar, you know, I got to reach it about 3% somewhere uh, to send this thing to a runoff.
0: How did you manage to get into the debate? That's what I'm curious about. After you're blacked out of polls, blacked out of seemingly everything. How did you work your way into that? Thank God.
1: This is the only time I will ever say this. Thank God for Georgia public television. (laughs) Right. Like I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of state sponsored television, but they were the only people that invited us to the debate the guys down in Savannah, the guys at channel two, the rest of them, uh, that had debates, you know, there was two debates between those guys. Well, I was part of one of them. And then, um, you know, uh, Purdue wouldn't show up for the rest of them because he, he just, I mean, he looked like an idiot. He got his ass beat. You know, he was, uh, you know, part of some insider trading before everything went to shit. And so, you know, it was it was just one of those things where once he was exposed, he didn't even have the GOP support anymore. And I thought that was, you know, I thought that was a really interesting thing. And in the fact that, you know, we got about 115,000 votes, so about 2.3% of the, uh, the total vote count. Uh, man, it was a late night, and by the time they came back the next morning, they were like, yeah, it looks like this thing's going to a runoff, and that was national news. We got more press afterwards.
0: I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. Those are pretty impressive numbers, considering you didn't spend money and were blacked out of polls. I, I mean, what what do you think was the key to actually getting those 115,000 votes? I, I can't imagine they were all libertarians or all, all listeners of the Radical Podcast.
1: It's, uh, it's messaging, man. Um, and so I, I came out and started throttling Governor Kemp from day one. Um, and, and I went down, I led some protests. I led one, uh, that was a armed protest, you know, right out of the gate. It was April. Uh, we went out there. Uh, I wrote a new declaration of independence and, and, you know, signed it and all that kind of stuff. We had the boog boys show up and thank God they did, because I'll tell you what, my local sheriff had told me, Hey, yeah, you guys go out there and protest. So I'll do whatever you want. And then he blocked off the whole place. And those guys showed up in the next time. And I was like, Hey, we're going to be here. So Fuck off! And we had our protest, and then uh, we went down to the Georgia Capitol. After that, that was not a armed protest. Um, You know, it was more or less go out there and make yourself known. And so, you know, uh, it's just it's messaging. Don't be apologetic. Be bold. Be brave. Don't you know? If you're if you do mess up, apologize. But here's the thing: is if you're consistent in your principle and you know this kind of stuff, you don't have to apologize, and you don't have to care what people think. And I'm telling you, people are ready for people to go out there and have the fight. You know, if, if it's the one thing that Donald Trump did well, he at least had a fight. He at least, you know, exposed, you know, the propagandists and he exposed, you know, the, you know, the, the MIC and he exposed a whole lot of things out there. And he had the fight and people were like, yeah, cool. I don't think he was the right guy having the fight, obviously. But um, he he at least was, there, there was a fight. And I, I think people really adore uh, the people that are underdogs that will not waver, who will stand and actually, you know, you know, like Ron Paul, it's just one of those things. Why not be like that guy?
0: So, um, I want to talk about, what what it was like for you once this thing was sent to a runoff uh eventually republicans uh lost the senate and I, i'm sure in fact i know because i've seen like articles about it that he, you are taking a lot of the blame from especially republicans that don't want to you know they don't want to blame themselves so who are we going to blame shane hazel so what what has, been, has it been like Schrodinger's cat
1: <laughs> right like you, you,
0: yeah. you guys will never ever fucking win and also
1: you guys don't matter like we can't be both guys like it's mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things right schrodinger's
0: so. libertarian candidate <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i got a lot you of you don't matter nurse. and
0: you're pointless and you cost us the election
1: <laughs> yeah I got a lot of love notes. Uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, just foul as foul can be from, from from everybody. That's the thing is like, that's how dumb a lot of the people who were voting for Democrats and Republicans are. And I hate to say that, man. It's like, I should say indoctrinated. But to have like Democrats, so you should drop out. And I'm like, dude, I'm not in the runoff election. <laughs> <laughs> right, like
0: you really you know, don't know how this works, do you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I had Republicans saying you're gonna you you are gonna cost us the election, and uh, here's the thing is, I also gave like I had an hour conversation with David Perdue, the senator at the time. You know, I, I invited him to come and be a guest on my show. Uh, He said, sure, let me come. And so what they did is they had Mike Lee call me and then they had Rand Paul's people call me. I interviewed Rand Paul on my show where he basically said there's no damn difference between Democrats and Republicans up here. But if you elect David Perdue and we keep the majority, at least I have bigger say. And I was like, "Well, that doesn't say anything about this asshole that you know you guys want me to endorse." So I didn't endorse him. I did say, "Hey, man, come on the show." And what they had done is they had sent Rand Paul into the waters, you know, being the most liberty-minded Republican who's not mm-hmm. a libertarian at all, uh, to come out there and test the waters. And so I got a text from David Perdue, not even a phone call, saying. You know, uh, I saw your conversation and I don't think there's any point in me wasting time. And I was like, that's 115,000 votes. You only needed about 15,000 of those things to, you know, walk away with this election. And so what you're doing is saying, no, screw you. I, I even, man, I even stroked his ego a little bit. I said, and you know you could be really good. You got to be a lot tighter on rights and everything else. And
0: maybe <laughs> You're trying to pop him up like like his coach. Oh, now, man, huh? <laughs> Fuck
1: yeah, yo, dude, it, it, flattery for those vain bastards is exactly you know that's, bring them in. That's the currency, right? Man, it sure is. And so you, you, I did it, and I said, yeah, you know, come and offer him something. Come and offer him a policy that you'll fight for it. All you got to do is say Just cannabis one, cannabis legalization. Do it. You will get fifteen thousand votes. And so what did he do? You do? Nah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still not going to do it. So I sent the text out to everybody, the GOP, the libertarians, the Democrats, everybody. I said, this is your guy. This is your, your guy who doesn't think that the liberty vote is worth coming on a show and taking the slings and arrows or offering a fucking olive branch. And I mean, I, I think at that point it was just like, I can't be the bad guy. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that wanted to hate me. I've, I've had brought people on that have written articles about me to have that conversation be like, look, dude, I wasn't even in the election, right? Like it's, it's, it it doesn't work that way. And and it's when, when you can, you know, sit there and just speak truth and you guys understand that, Hey, Republicans are progressives as well. And people saw that kind of stuff. They were like, they were totally turned off. So uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I, like I said, I have pretty thick skin. You know, I, I really don't care what most people think. So I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. Uh, and I parlayed it. So I'm going to seek the governor nomination down here in 2022 to go after Brian Kemp, who's widely hated right now.
0: So you didn't learn your lesson, huh? The, you didn't learn your lesson, spoiling the race.
1: Here you go again. Stubborn and hard headed, brother. It is uh, it's just my nature. And until we're much freer or I'm dead, uh, either way, it's uh, it's my mission in life.
0: I'm curious what you think the like a the role of a liber- libertarian candidate like yourself can can really play uh, like I mean I, I love to think you can win the governorship. I love that but I, I think you probably recognize that that's really an uphill battle uh, and like what well, I spoke to tho Bishop a, a few weeks ago and you know his his kind of ideal for what the libertarian Party could be. He's more of a GOP, not more of. He's a GOP guy. He's uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, he, you know, he says like, if it is going to exist and be out there, I mean, what it, what the Libertarian Party could really do is kind of play kingmaker in certain races. Like yours might have been a good race um, for you know, just in terms of the numbers. Like if they say, all right, like maybe someone like Ron DeSantis, we're not going to run a candidate against because he was so good uh, on on the lockdowns. So that's those example, not mine. Um, do you think right. that there is a, a case for a third party candidate? or someone like yourself like if one candidate is actually good enough literally is has shown you know enough for liberty does it make sense to pick a side in the duopoly and maybe and have the you know have the endorsement go that way to and is that a better way to display power sometimes or is it always the best in your view to just stay the course and just stay as that that candidate and and spread that message
1: I think it's very nuanced. Um, I think most of the times you're going to come out like 99% don't endorse. You have power. Like in those moments where you send something to a runoff, that is where you have the power. And to let it go, to push your power into something that you don't believe in fully. I mean, and I mean fully, this is, you know, this is everybody's uh, own determination, but to go out there for, for myself and endorse a, a jackass like David Perdue or a Brian Kemp or something, I, I lose every ounce of credibility. It, it's, it's not worth it. Hey, you had a chance. You had a chance to pick up a whole bunch of liberty if you would have just not been fearful or scared. You know that, and that's the thing: is America is kind of comfortable. We're getting less comfortable, and I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing these moments like that existed before uh, the revolution. You look at you know five years before the revolution happened, people would have never said that farmers and craftsmen could have gone out and changed the world the way they did. Then it happened again in 1860. Five years later, the world was extremely different, and people like you know the 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 abysmal uh, Abraham Lincoln. You know the Republican Party didn't exist really before him, and it changed in that short a time frame. And I think we're in one of those time frames now. Um, you know, you look at the civil rights movement, you look at uh, you know the LBGQ movement. You know, all of these movements for civil rights have done you know more to at least equalize the state. At some levels, you know, for, for everybody, but we're at a turning point, I think, in America. It's, and I hate to God, fuck turning point. The we're, we're, <laughs> we're at a point in America where I think, you know, we're on the precipice of revolution. I hope it's mostly peaceful. Um, but this might be that moment where people recognize that these two parties have screwed generation over generation, not only here in America, but around the world. And that the people talking about peace and liberty and consent are really the people that they are closest aligned with. And we have a track record of saying, listen, man, you know, guys like Chase Oliver down here in Atlanta who ran for house, you know, we come from the same high school. And he he's he's a gay man. He is, he came from the very progressive background. Whereas I was in neocon, we had nothing in common besides where we grew up. And we understand a way to make this work. And that's, the, that's what, you know, hey, we can av- agree to get rid of damn near Every bit of government that we can from these two backgrounds to sit there and say, hey, man, these principles are what we need to uphold. And that means getting rid of our differences and you know, agreeing to things like what's real crime. Crime is murder, rape, trespassing, vandalism, assault, kidnapping, um, you know, Things like things that are heinous in nature, and if we can agree on those, and I can say he agrees with me, and he comes from that background, and I come from this background, we're setting an example of a solution to make things work.
0: Well, Shane, I'm kind of curious if you see this this governor run that you, I guess, I, not really coming up. You've already announced, so you're you're running right now. Uh, do you see this past experience here with the with everything that went on in Georgia, the craziness, and you being known as the spoiler? Do you think that's going to garner you? more attention since you've become known as the spoiler or someone that that has some modicum of power here you've shown that you have you can get x number of votes in a race um or do you think it's going to have the opposite of effect where they really say okay we really got to black this guy out (laughs)
1: we really got to make sure no one hears from him i mean i I brought him in i brought the media about an extra 200 million dollars in ads so maybe they could run you know a little bit of airtime for us maybe not as much as, as those guys but literally we doubled the amount of money they made um there's going to be people that are very vitriolic about me in the race and then there's going to be people that have gone yep you know what I'm done I'm I've had so many people flood my my inboxes on every social media and and, and email that like I there is a there's a movement coming. Um, I don't know if Georgia's going to set the pace in the tone in 2022, but I hope it does. I hope you know national spotlight is down here going. Holy shit! The same guy that you know caused this huge runoff and 200 million extra dollars to run into the state of Georgia is now going to do it against a very crippled Brian Kemp if he's the guy. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It, it 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 could be you know one of those moments in history where we look back and go. Wow. Uh this was this did not go the way that we thought it went. Nobody, you know, thought it was going to go this way from the the expert panel. So, um I don't know. I'm optimistic. I mean, I'm I'm just one of those people and the thing is is, you know, win, lose, whatever. The, the you know, what I was always taught is go out there, fight your ass off, stand on principle, be consistent, and if you give it everything you got, psh- what else you got to lose?
0: Yep, indeed. Well, Shane, uh, one thing I'm confident of is that you're going to be out there having fun, uh, you know, doing your psyops every, everywhere, everywhere you go uh, and calling things what they are, like murder cabals. Uh, so I really do look forward to following this campaign over the next couple of years. Uh, before I let you go, anything else you want to plug? You can tell people more about the Radical Podcast or whatever you like to plug. Plug away. This is your, this is your time, Shane. Now that we've hugged out, man, I got to
1: have you on the show. Uh, radicalpod.com is the website. It's got all the links there it's not awesome so if you're an amazing uh you know website designer i need somebody uh you can hit me up at shane at radicalpod.com uh i'm on twitter it's probably where i spend most of my time until i get deplatformed uh but yeah we're gonna be you know i'm I'm gonna be funding my campaign through my podcast basically uh and i don't really want political contributions i want to make liberty you know a full-time gig where we're fighting literature, books, media, culture, you name it. Um, and uh, growing you know, people that, that are going to be the next generation. So uh, if, yeah, if you want to go to patreon.com slash radical pod, uh, you can hit me up there. And I'd really, really appreciate any type of support and following and, and shares. Really, that's what we need. We need people taking all the content that's been created over the last you know, four or five years now and uh, chopping it up and sharing it in the most creative way that they can.
0: Yeah, I always say I, I love I love your money. I love people to send us money. That's wonderful. But the easiest thing to do that is arguably more valuable than the money, but we still want the money. Uh, is to just share the content because that takes one second and it's free and it's easy. And that's it. But so Shane, uh, I really do look forward to uh, you know seeing this campaign play out over the next couple of years, and uh, I'll, maybe I'll see you on the Radical Podcast soon.
1: Absolutely, Mark, and I appreciate you giving me the platform uh, to, to come on here and do this. Anytime anybody gives you a platform, man, that's a that's a huge solid. So thank you very much.
0: You got it, man. Keep up the great work, brother. Keep on rolling i <laughs> All right, kitty cats. Well, speaking of keeping up the great work, another transition. I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not really kidding because we are doing great work. I have to think we're doing great work here. Or why would you waste your time listening to us? Why would you have made it to this point in your podcast? But, um, of course, it's not just me here doing this great work on the Lions of Liberty podcast. I, of course, will be here every single Monday through the end of time with the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, uh, doing interviews with guys like my man Shane Hazel, as well as debates. You got another one coming up pretty pretty soon. Uh, Another one with Dave Smith. This time he's going to be talking to Toe Bishop. And you know who's going to get to hear that first? our patrons of the Lions of Liberty Pride. Just another reason to support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash lionsliberty. Another ask I have of you guys. We're starting to build our channel on Odyssey. Uh, we are building on YouTube as well. Uh, we do put up a lot of our interviews. This interview is also available on YouTube, but I'd be, love it. I would be thrilled if you would head over to Odyssey, like the video, follow our channel, all of that great stuff. I will link to all of that stuff in today's show notes, You can, which you can find over at our website, lionsofliberty.com. But don't just rest on your laurels because there's more Lions of Liberty coming at you this and every week. You got Brian McWilliams slapping you upside the head with his weekly shot of comedy culture and a little bit of liberty over on electric liberty land while John Odermatt wraps things up with finding freedom. And my God, if you have not followed John's interviews with John Ziegler over the years, a lot of them came out when our show was a lot smaller. So you could have missed some of the earlier ones, but you got to check out his latest interview with John Ziegler, who has done such incredible, extensive work looking into the Penn State supposed Sandusky scandal. And I'm not going to tell you what I think but I probably wouldn't be promoting this interview if I didn't kind of agree what was going on there. So you can make your own guesses to that end, but you got to check this interview out. If you think you know what happened, if you only know what you know from the media reports, you don't know anything. And uh, especially now, I think listening now in light of the context of the COVID hysteria and all of the everything the media has put out in regards to that, all of the fear mongering, all of the hype, there are so many parallels you can see between that and the Sandusky case. You have just got to check out. So go back, click back, check out the latest episode of finding freedom the great thing is all you gotta do is hit the subscribe button just one time search Lions of liberty on your favorite podcast or wherever you happen to be listening right now hit the heck out of that subscribe button and you get to roar with us three days a week every single monday wednesday and thursday that's all i've got this week until next time my friends live and live free